Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. Today we're talking about one of my favorite topics. I know it's gonna sound funny when you hear what today's topic is, but there's a reason this is one of my favorite topics because if you find someone who's really good at this, you have found an absolute gem. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about matrimonial law. I'm talking about getting divorced. Now, stay with me here because I found over the years that really good matrimonial attorneys are few and far between. Why? It is a very difficult practice area and people who are good at it help their clients and they become emotionally invested in their clients. And it is a special person that can do this over a number of years to where they have developed a reputation and the skills necessary to get the best outcome from a financial, from an emotional, and from a psychological perspective for their clients. So today, I want you to think of this as a case study in how to handle relationships and especially how to handle the psychological and the emotional aspects of a relationship during a very difficult time. So we're talking about matrimonial law, but we're also talking about handling client relationships on this episode of the Inside BS Show. My guest today is Jillian Gross, and she is a matrimonial attorney in New York City, and she's gonna help us understand how you can help your clients get through really difficult times intact from those three aspects. So please join me in welcoming Jillian to the Inside BS Show. All right, Jillian, welcome to the show from, uh, you know, you're a New Yorker, so you'll recognize those tones as the closing of the subway doors. And that's why being a native New Yorker myself, I use that as my sonic brand. I mentioned in the open that you have to have, you have to be particularly skilled at helping people get through your, you know, you, the practice that you have, getting through uh, a divorce, being, you know, uh, emotionally, psychologically, and financially as well adjusted as possible. Explain to folks what I mean by that, because that's what you do every day. Sure. Um, I actually think of my role as part attorney and part psychologist because people are coming into my office at their lowest for the most part. Um, they're either coming because the relationship is breaking and they're feeling very down or they want the uh, divorce but they don't know how to navigate the emotions of it. Um, there are so many uh, ups and downs throughout the divorce process and you have to be able as the attorney to manage those ups and downs, um, be drawn in, uh, be as you said um, emotionally invested but also be emotionally withdrawn. So it's a very um, difficult balance. It Not everyone finds it. I'd like to think that I do find that balance and help clients come out of this emotional pit that they think they're never going to come out of. Um, it is from both the, again, relationship breakdown to also finding your way on your own to your new chapter. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a minefield, um, and we, we navigate it together. Yeah. Now, talk to me a little about 
some of the first things, and let's start with misconceptions that uh, a, a client may have. Let's start when, when they're a prospective client, right? So maybe they're referred to you or maybe somehow they, you know, they bump into you and they find out you're a family law attorney and, you know, they've been going through something for a period of time and they set up an appointment and they start talking to you. What are some of the misconceptions that a prospective client will walk in the door with and you have to kind of, you know, diffuse them before you can really talk about what you're going to do moving forward? So there are very, there are many. Um, I'd say the most common ones are the legal misconceptions. Um, and so friends are amazing, but friends don't always give the best advice. Um, and one friend's story and how that friend's divorce went doesn't always inform how yours will go. So my biggest pitch at the beginning is your friends are amazing, you need your friends, but your friend's divorce is not your divorce. And so everything that happened for your friend is not necessarily going to happen for you. The biggest misconception is that cases are identical. There is no one case that is alike. Whether it's the finances that people bring to the table or their children or their relationship, there are just what's so interesting about this area of law is that every case is so dramatically different. So when someone says what typically happens, there's no typical. We have no typical. Um, I'd say the other misconception is that the courts are uh, gender biased. They're not. Um, we really have come a long way. And since I have been practicing, it's even grown farther. So a dad is just as important as a mom. And that's a really important thing, I think, for men to hear when they come into my office. That it's also very important for any working parent to hear. You know, they're going to be treated as a parent, not, and the fact that they go to work and they might not be around every day for soccer or basketball or dinner is not gonna impact their time with their kids. So that's a, those are misconceptions that I like to do away with early on. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about one of the things that I try and, you know, when my friends uh, go through something like this and they get divorced or when people I know come to me and they ask me for a referral to a family law attorney, you know, having experienced this myself, although, you know, I didn't have kids at the time when, when I got divorced, um, one of the things I try to explain to them, and I'd like your thoughts on this, is don't view this as a battle as much as view it as a negotiation. Because the people I, I find, and I and again, I want to I bring you in and, and hear what your thoughts are because you're really on the inside. The people who view it as a negotiation wind up while, you know, while the initial emotion is to, you know, to punch somebody in the mouth, the people who view it as a negotiation tend to get through it much more psychologically and emotionally intact than the people who view it as a battle. What are, having seen much more of this than I have, what are your thoughts? I've also been through it in the same way as you. Um, I was divorced young, no kids. So I, I bring some experience to the table about and perspective on how to deal with it. And I think that helps. Um, but you have to think about the long road, right? You have to think about that, like you said, it's not a battle, or every battle's not worth fighting. Um, anyone who can come to the table and look at this as a business deal and a transaction is definitely coming out um, ahead of the game emotionally, as you said. That's not always going to happen, at least not right at 
the beginning. I mean, I have clients now who are like, it's a, it's a balance sheet. We got to move some numbers around and we're done. Those are, those are great cases. Those move more quickly and the emotion sort of stays tightened up. When there are kids involved and real custody issues, obviously that's not going to happen and it's going to be more of a, um, I don't want to use the word battle, but it's going to be more Contentious, involved. yeah. Contentious. Um, but there are a lot of people who think they have a battle when they first come in and then they they chill out, for lack of a better word. They realize that their kids are going to be fine, that they are going to be fine. They're going to get past it. And and. I think I've helped people um, over the years sort of get to that phase um, and that everything is not guns blazing, punch someone in the face. It doesn't get you anywhere. It's exhausting. Um, and screaming and yelling isn't the best tactic. You can be tough, but being tough when you're calm is so much more effective. Now, you, uh, having, you know, having practiced in New York for a while and, you know, having, you know, planning to be in the practice of law throughout the, the, the foreseeable future in your career, you're going to see a lot of the same people on the other side of the table over and over again. Explain to people who are, you know, thinking about getting a divorce or maybe are going through the divorce process now, explain how you knowing the lawyers on the other side is a good thing and how you being able to work with them rather than, you know, throw your your shoe at them is a good thing. That's what you that's what people should be coming to you for. Explain to folks why that is an advantage for someone when they engage you. Such a great question um, because what happens every so often is someone will come to to consult and they'll say, should I go out and consult with 10 other lawyers to make sure that my husband or my wife can't consult? And it's the biggest mistake because we have a, especially at the level at which we practice, there are the usual players and we all know one another and we all, I know their style. I know what they're going to bring to the table in terms of a negotiation. I can then say to my client, this is what to expect from this lawyer. This is great. This is less great. Um, but, but there's a, and then you can pick up a phone and talk to somebody. But if you've now conflicted out everyone else, it's not possible <laughs> to, um, it's not possible to have that type of relationship with some unknown, right, who's like some Joe Schmo from Court Street, you know? So it's it's a lot better to um, maintain the relationships with opposing counsel, um, not have a scorched earth tactic in one case because it's kind of going to come back to bite you in the next case. Um, you know, professional courtesies are very important in cases. That's something important for clients to know. You want that courtesy extended back to you at some point. It's also important with the judges. And I think clients don't realize that as much also. We appear before the same judges all the time. So our reputations and the product we bring is so important because these judges are judging all of our cases. And so it happens sometimes where clients are like, oh, you're you know, afraid of the judge or you don't want to piss off the judge. It's like, yeah, you never want to piss off the judge, first of all. That's like... Lesson number one. That's like, exactly. Rule, rule one <laughs> in the practice of law is don't aggravate the court. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's, you know, it really, it comes up a lot um, 
about the adversaries. You know, so uh, having having hung out with a with a with a few family law attorneys over the years, I can you know I can honestly tell you that people are people, right? And marital attorneys, uh, matrimonial attorneys, they're people too. So if you pick up the phone and you say to opposing counsel, "Listen, you know, we've done three cases together in the last six months." This guy is a really good guy, and he wants to do the right thing. I need you to help me with your client get to a place where he can do the right thing. If you say that, it makes a huge difference because then opposing counsel is going to go to the other side, and they're going to try and diffuse the anger and say, you know, eventually if we can get to a place where it looks like this, would you be happy? What is it going to take for you to get there? Now, you're not going to say that in every case, right? So if you have five cases where the opposing counsel is the same, you got, you know, you got 100 open cases at any time, five of them are with the same opposing counsel. If you pick up the phone and say that about one case, opposing counsel is going to sit up and take notice. All right. So, you know, they're not going to say the other four, oh, you know, she's representing terrible people. They're going to say with this one, you know, this person really wants to do the right thing from the standpoint of their kids, or maybe they want to do the right thing from the standpoint of taking care of the, you know, the, the spouse, because, you know, circumstances are what they are and they've grown apart. It makes a huge difference in being able to have a good relationship with the, with opposing counsel. So if you're out there now and you're doing, you know, I call it the Sopranos effect because there was an episode of the Sopranos where Tony Soprano is going to, you know, think going to get divorced and he gets the awful advice to go around and meet with everybody to conflict people out. You know, if you're thinking of doing that, I think you, as the person who's going through the divorce, have the wrong mindset to begin with. The right mindset needs to be, okay, although I don't want to show my cards at the beginning, what is the best possible outcome for me? And then share that with the attorney you do hire and work to get toward that. What do you think about that? Yes, I agree 100%. I mean, the, the relationship with the attorney also works in another way, which is if you have a good relationship with an attorney, and this, by the way, does not hold true for every attorney that I know, right? But you could pick up the phone and say, hey, my client's being really difficult, and I need to be able to have this conversation, just us, right, without you repeating it. And you need to know when you can and can't trust the person on the other side. And so being able to develop those relationships or have someone on the other side who you can have a conversation with, you know, it sounds horrible, but sort of conspire with the other lawyer to get our clients to a deal, right? Like they're both dug in. We can't move either of them. Let's come together without them necessarily knowing all the details. Let's decide what would work for them that we can understand based on having the experience, watching them, and then go back to them and say, what do you think of this? So the relationship is so important for that purpose also. Um, a lot of people come in and they don't have a plan. They don't know what they want ultimately, or they think they know, but they really don't. Um, and it's a work in progress. Uh, but to be able to speak to your lawyer and just dump it all out there and say, now help me put these pieces together um, is a very important, you know, so you got to come in sort of ready to do the work. Um, again, it's like therapy. You're going to, you're going to get out what you put in. I, I, I completely agree. And now let's, let's stay on that point of the kind of the psychological and emotional aspects of this. We'll talk about the financial aspects in, in a minute. 
very few people, if they really do some soul searching, are surprised by a divorce, right? It's, you know, I would say, and I, I'm, I want your percentages on this, what, what you think maybe 25% of people are, are shocked, oh, all of a sudden they realize their spouse is cheating on them, or all of a sudden they realize their, their spouse has emptied the bank account because she has a gambling problem or something, right? It's either 25% or less, in my opinion, are surprised. How do you help people get to a place where they can, it's never going to feel good, but they can neutralize the psychological, neutralize the emotional impact and communicate with you as their attorney to, to make a deal because there's no winner. There's, there's never going to be a winner in a, in a family law matter, in a, in a matrimonial uh, case. There's never going to be a winner. So the sooner you as the attorney can help them neutralize the feelings, get to a psychological place where, listen, I got to grieve. I'm going to go through the stages of grief. But first, we got to get this deal done. How do you how do you do that and and what are what are the what are some of the the you know the techniques or the strategies you can employ with your clients to help them get to that place? Yeah, it, it so it's very different in every case, right? Cuz everyone brings very different emotions. Um and I'd love to tell you that the deal gets done and then they go through their stages. We we sort of go through the stages while we're trying to get a deal done. And it the stages of grief get in the way of the deal very often. Um, I I like to develop a relationship with the clients first, get them to really trust me not just as a lawyer but as a person, and then I feel like I have the ability to be impactful in my non-legal advice. Um, and it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, some people take to you very quickly. Some people take a little while. Some people say, you know what, actually, we're not for each other. I'm going to go find someone else. You're too direct or, you know, but I, I, I don't sugarcoat it. Um, I, I come at it with sympathy. I think that it's hard and I know it and I validate. It's kind of like dealing with my, you know, six-year-old. I validate the feelings. <laughs> I learned that during the pandemic. You have to validate their feelings. Um, but I, I validate the feelings, and then I talk through the feelings because they're real, but they also need to be put to the side to some extent. And on the custody piece, it's the hardest because you have to try to convince somebody that being without their kids for one night, two nights, a weekend is going to be fine, something that they probably just can't fathom. Um, and one of the greatest things I would say in my career that happened to me was a few years ago, a former client who I maintained a relationship with called me and she said, I just have to thank you because I just didn't have my kids for the weekend. And I thought back to a conversation we had three years ago where you said to me, trust me, you're going to enjoy your weekend off you're going to be happy. And she was like, and I was so happy this weekend. I miss my kids. I love my kids. But I did stuff for myself. And I just, she called me to thank me. And it was, it felt great. I was like, oh, okay, I made it. <laughs> I got into that brain. Yeah, you know, the, the, what, you, what you're talking about there, I think is, and I saw it in a family member who went through exactly that. A family member who is a fantastic mother and was like, couldn't imagine that, you know, uh, every other week during the week and then every other weekend she wasn't going to see her kids. 
what ended up happening, and this is a role I think that you play without without saying it, you're giving permission to these people to enjoy the freedom of not having their children around. And as parents, we feel when our kids aren't near us, we feel, I mean, it's different if they're in school or like at camp or something, but we feel that there's a guilt there. I mean, think about the first time, if you're listening to this and you're a parent, the first time your kid has like a sleepover at somebody else's house, you're like, you know, over, and you know the people, hopefully, and you know, you think they're good people, but you feel like this, oh my gosh, my kid, you know, are they safe? And, and by the way, the kid is having the time of his or her life and you have this feeling and that's guilt. Well, what you as a family law attorney are doing, Jillian, in my opinion, is by having that conversation with them, you're giving them permission to, you know, enjoy the freedom that they have every other weekend or every other week or whenever they don't have their kids. And most people want to be a good parent regardless of whatever's going on in their life they want to be a good parent so that guilt can be overwhelming but you're giving them permission to enjoy their every other weekend and i would imagine that you have to have the same conversation with these with these people who are good parents about like dating and the future right because there's got to be a concern about that too yeah i mean it's parents who think they always want their kids or they want a situation where, you know, they could share everything with their soon-to-be ex-spouse. You know, we'll vacation together, we'll do this together. It, it, part of my job, I think, is to make them realize that they, there is a life after this. And it's your own life. And you're going to go on a date. You're going to want to have friends over. You're going to want to go on vacation alone or alone with your kids or bring someone on vacation with your kids. And so I understand how hard it is to sort of to get to that vision early on. Um, but it is it's super important. You know, the, the, I think the hardest part um, is for the parent who may be a stay at home parent because he or she that's that's their job. And so you're taking part of their job from them. And so it, it's part of their identity. And so it's a very hard, um, hard thing to get used to or get accustomed to. But they get there. So I'm going to ask you this question, and I want you to take a minute and think about it. This is uh, kind of a question that I think is on everyone's mind when it comes to um, a family law or matrimonial situation. And that is cheaters, right? People who cheat, how does that impact the financials? How does it impact custody? How does it impact what the judge thinks of them, right? Cheaters, we're going to talk about cheaters in just one minute. First, I need to remind people that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. For over 35 years, Sandrowski has been helping people get through some of the thorniest issues when it comes to their accounting. So today we're talking about family law. And let's say you're a person who's a, who's a high net worth individual or you've just had some success. Both of you have had success in your careers and you need to determine what the value of the marital assets are. Who are you going to call to do that? Well, Jillian can certainly give you some tips. She can give you some guidance. But 
Jillian or the, the family law attorney, the matrimonial attorney that you're working with is going to need to bring in most likely a CPA firm to do a valuation of the family assets. And the other side is probably going to bring in their own accountant to do a valuation of the assets. And sometimes, very small percentage of the time, people are sneaky and they're going to hide assets. Well, you need a firm that's going to be able to dig into the numbers and give you an objective analysis. And then you need somebody from that firm who, if Jillian has to call them in front of the judge can answer questions in a way that will make it very easy for the judge to understand. Well, Sandrowski has been doing exactly this for over 35 years. They do this where they can do the valuation and if both sides agree with Sandrowski's valuation, you're done. That's it. If both sides don't agree and they get another expert, then the experts are going to have to give depositions and then they may even have to testify in front of the court. That's where you really need somebody like Sandrowski because the people who do the valuations at Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, for 35 years they've been testifying in front of judges. And John uh, uh, John Alfonsi, who heads up their valuation department, he's also a college professor, so he can break complex financial topics down into easy, bite-sized morsels that even the court will be able to understand. So if you need help with this, I want you to reach out to Sandrowski right now. You can call them at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. Listen or look, well, if you're watching, if you're listening, you've heard me talk about this now for 60 some odd episodes, okay? If you haven't gotten your revenue roadmap guide yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Here's what I want you to do. This is a business development plan, by the way, that you can use to build your professional practice. If you're a lawyer, you're a CPA, financial advisor, banker, uh, another consultant, somebody who does what I do, right? You can use this plan to build your book of business. It's the same plan I use with my clients. I'm giving it to you for free. Why am I doing that? Because I appreciate you watching. I appreciate you listening. This is our 62nd or 63rd episode. You haven't done it yet. You got to do it right now. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info there. You can download your free guide to business development. And this is a relationship and thought leadership-based guide to business development. We're not talking about bus stop bench advertising. We're not talking about billboards. We're not talking about any hokey SEO tricks, which you have to spend a million dollars in order to get to work. It's really solid things you can do today to get more business in the door. RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. Enter your contact info. Download it right now. Okay, Jillian, cheaters. Everybody wants to talk about cheaters, right? How does cheating impact the case? Oh, I hate the cheaters. Um, uh, <laughs> it's, they don't, unfortunately. Um, in very rare situations, um, if you're doing it in front of the kids, it's going to impact your custody, you know, depending on what's going on. Um and if you are spending marital assets, uh, a lot of money on someone um, outside of the marriage, then uh, it could impact it. But it doesn't really play, unfortunately. I mean, it plays in the emotional aspect. It plays in it being hard to get somebody um, to the table because of their hurt feelings. But kind of as you said before, um, People start to connect the dots, you know, oh, was I this blind? Did I know that something was going on? 
you know, I, it depends on the extent. You know. Right. It's hard because people start saying, oh, so that time where he said he wasn't coming to Italy because he had this, that, the other thing. You have to go through those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but in terms of the fact pattern, the, the, the judge really doesn't care. Right. The judge it, the, like has no bearing on the court whatsoever. Like you said, it's important because it hurts your client. But from a fact pattern, from a pro, from a law perspective, nothing. No, again, unless it's egregious. Yeah. You know. And you know, if it was egregious, you would have gotten the hell out of there a long time ago. You're not gonna you're not gonna let that continue, right? So, you know, most likely the typical cheater who's good at hiding it and using business trips to cover up for it. You're not going to know until you know. And then once you know, it's not, because they did a good job of hiding it from everybody else. It doesn't have a lot of impact. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people want to spend a lot of time and money chasing that and seeing how much money was spent, what was going on, how far back can I go? And my advice often is you're just perpetuating your misery. Right. You don't need every detail. Right. Right. Okay. Now let's talk about um, what is important and what you need people to bring to the table so that you can help them. Not from a from an emotional or psychological standpoint, but what do you need? Like, do you need bank records? Do you need like you know uh, childcare history? Like, what do you need from your clients? How do you? What kind of compliance do you need? What do you need from them? <laughs> compliance is what we need. <laughs> <laughs> Um, initially you need to bring honesty, you know, you need to bring your true self, um, and not everybody who comes in here has the statements, the financial statements, has ever paid a bill, knows what, you know, where the bank is, or, you know, or on the flip side, has had anything to do with their kids um, on a day-to-day basis because for whatever reason they have never taken them to the pediatrician you know they maybe don't go to every parent-teacher conference being honest about who you are in the relationship is the most important piece because then we can set goals and we can get the information um, that's needed Uh, so people come in often and they feel embarrassed by their lack of knowledge or they feel like they have to be defensive about the roles that each spouse played in the marriage. I went to work, you stayed home with the kids. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. That's what you decided to do. You know, you divided and you conquered, and that's what couples do. So the honesty leads to the compliance. That's great. Um, We're talking with Jillian Gross. If you're in the uh, tri-state area and you want to talk about your matrimonial situation, I encourage you to call her, 212-678-8500, 212-678-8500. Jillian, let's talk about about whose fault it is, right? And how little anybody cares in the process about whose, whose fault this is, right? I'm hitting on all the emotional hot buttons here. Who's, why, why does it not matter one bit? You know, there's, there, in, in every relationship, there's the angel and there's the devil, right? And depending on who you're meeting with, that person's always the angel. So why is it not important who, who caused this? Because divorce is not a punishment um, and the courts are not exacting a punishment uh, in 
the majority of cases um, on somebody. And so whose fault it is? First of all, it's probably both of your fault. I mean, takes two to tango, you get to a place, yes, you know, one person can be worse than the other. But I typically think that both parties contribute in some way to where they ultimately end up. And um, whose fault it is doesn't matter. You're here. It's, you're getting a divorce. Um, and it might be that one of you wanted to try to work on it more and the other didn't. It's a hurdle. you got to get over it. Um, and, you know, I have cases where we're at the end. We're at a settlement. We're drafting an agreement. And the client will say, I just, I just feel like maybe I didn't get enough because of what he or she did because of this. And it goes back to what you said at the beginning. Nobody wins. You walk away reasonably satisfied. That's a good settlement. You know, if you feel like you won, you're probably wrong. Mm. Yeah. Well, the winning, the winning is getting to move on with your life. That's what the winning is. And that's how everybody should look at this. Um, And to that end, right. Explain. um, Now, I'm not sure if New York state is the only place that has this nuance, but, and maybe I'm wrong or maybe it's changed. Is there, do you have to be like separated for a period of time before you can get divorced or can you get divorced like tomorrow? How does the, how does the time work logistically? So New York State for a very long time was still a fault-based state. You had to prove fault in order to get a divorce. There were two things in the statute that sort of enabled you to get around it. Um, One was that you could enter into a separation agreement, live by that agreement for a year, and then convert it to a divorce. Another way was, well, it People alleged that there hadn't been sexual relations for a year prior to the marriage and then to to the divorce, excuse me, and then you could um, get a divorce. Now New York is a no-fault state. So the uh, no-fault part of the statute is you have to say that there's been an irretrievable breakdown for six months leading up to the divorce. And basically you just say that and you can get your divorce. Um, You don't have to live apart. You don't have to go through some long process. I mean, most people do, but mm. you don't have to. And the reason they go through the long process is because of the negotiation. That's the that's the thing that holds it up now. Um, and you know, talk about there's a, there's another. You mentioned one of the things uh, that that I hear all the time. It's like, oh, go around and meet with everybody to disqualify people, and that's a bad idea. Talk about the other piece of advice that. I've heard non-lawyers give people all the time and it's like, oh, just stay in the house if you, if you, you know, if you, like the War of the Roses, which is an old movie, which is actually very funny. And, you know, that's what I think of when I hear people get that advice. Just stay in the house if you, because if you leave the house, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're less likely to get it in the divorce. I mean, a divorce is a negotiation, right? So if you can't stand the other person, get the hell out of the house and then try and negotiate for your part of the house. What is, what do you, as the, as an expert, as a lawyer, what do you think about that? So the stay in the house advice um, gets, and this is why you don't listen to your friends, gets um, mangled. The stay in the house advice is don't move out until you know what the access or parenting schedule is going to be with your kids. Because if you leave and there's, it's contentious and the person who's at the house with the kids is in control, you are going to be doled out your time with your kids. So that's what it, it, it is behind it, not who gets the house. So very often, and I've given the advice too, we say, until you have a custody agreement, don't get out. 
people who can say from day one, I'm going to move out, this is when you're going to see the kids, this is when I'm going to see the kids, that's great, get separated. Some people have plenty of space and they can live together. They can make it work. Some people, even in 10,000 square feet, cannot make it work. So the goal is to separate people, but not at any cost uh, to the custody side. Yeah, and even even along those lines, if you're like I'm thinking about New York City, and you're living in a you know a, a 600 square foot two bedroom apartment, and your kids are in one bedroom, and you and your spouse are in the other bedroom, and you're not ready to have the conversation with the kids that you know this is why dad's sleeping on the couch. It, it's a disaster to try and to try and stay in that small space. Um, you know, while you're figuring it out. So, you know, each, each situation is different and you gotta, you gotta kind of take it with a grain of salt. Now, the one, um, the one last thing I want to talk to you about when it comes to, to, um, the actual process. And then I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about how to pick a good, uh, matrimonial attorney. But the one last process point I want to talk to you about is what are your, what is your guidance to your clients when maybe they've been apart? For a little while and then you have to you know you have to go into a mediation and you know I guess the client doesn't have to be in the mediation but that's like the first or maybe a deposition and that's the first time they're going to sit across from the other party in two months or six months or however however long what do you how do you prep a client for that you know that's an emotionally charged moment how do you get the client ready for that um, if you can't get a client ready for it, they don't sit in the same room together. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's great advice to other matrimonial attorneys. But I know a lot of attorneys who they, you know, they, they get pushed around by their client and then it's just a disaster. It's a, yeah. I was going to, I was going to use a word, second word, show, first word, not, not, <laughs> not arable, but it can be that, right? So how do you, how do you get them ready for that? Um, you know, it, it's again, part of the process of teaching or training your client not to take the bait. Um, sit there. Uh, it's going to be uncomfortable, but you'll get through it. We can always leave the room. You know, you don't have to stay. It's not jail. Um, and again, it comes with what's the case about, right? A, a person who perhaps was abused is going to have a much harder time sitting across from um, their spouse than someone who just hates their spouse. Um, uh, and I think it depends on the lawyers also and the lawyer's ability to control the room. Um, there are certain people out there who ask for these you know, four-way meetings, and I say no. Or you get to the point where you can have the four-way meeting if you have the most narrow of issues to discuss. But getting two people in a room at the beginning of a case when it, there isn't a mediator, or there isn't a judge sitting there to just try to hash it out, it's unlikely to work. Mm -hmm. You really need very defined last issues before you have that type of communication. In many cases, not in all. Sometimes people can just get around the table and do it, but it's rare. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about, um, I, you know, I, 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 this is something that... It comes up occasionally, and I've had I've had people express to me a fear of this, and explain uh, explain when it's when it's going to be a problem and when it's not, and in some cases it's not even a factor. Like people are scared about a deposition, 
right? So they're scared that the uh, that the opposing counsel is going to basically your your life is going to be stripped bare, and you're going to have to. I mean, you know, you have to tell the truth and that sort of thing. But it's not it's not all that common that the parties are deposed in a in a family law case, right? It's only if it gets really really contentious. Is that is that true or? If you have a so depositions in a matrimonial case in New York are only financial. Okay. Um, and so if you are litigating the finances, unable to settle it, or um, going through the discovery process, depositions are part of that. So it, it's more common than not, but it's only about finances. Okay. All right. Great. Unless you're spending your money on your, you know, the person who right. you're cheating with, then you're going to have to answer some questions. And you, you know, you can say, "Who did you have that thousand dollar dinner with? Right. Who did you go on that vacation with? Right. So did you pay I mean, for him or her? And you know, in in those circumstances, again, you don't have to. If you can, if you can come to some sort of an agreement without having to do that, then you don't have to do that. It's another incentive to come to an agreement. All right, now, Jillian, in the in the couple of minutes we have left, I want you to um, help folks with some guidance as to how to select a family law attorney or a matrimonial attorney. I want you to uh, to give them some, you know, some tips as to questions to ask. We have people who listen all over, well, all over the you know, the world, but all over the U.S. in particular. So what should they be looking for? What questions should they ask in that initial consultation? I think, so you look for someone with experience, obviously get someone with credentials, but I think the most important thing is connecting with the person. Um, They're not going to be your best friend, but you need to have a relationship. You need to be able to um, trust the person you want to listen to the person, and you're sharing a lot of very intimate details with them. So I think developing a relationship is important. You sit down and you sit across from somebody who you just cannot imagine having a meal with. You don't want to hire that person. Um, and what was the other part? Well, I mean, just the, <laughs> we're, we're talking about criteria, right? So during oh. the initial consultation, what questions do you want to ask the attorney so, to make sure you're making a good decision? I think that it's not as much asking the right questions, but it's telling your story, telling your details, and hearing the feedback, um, and how is that feedback presented to you. If a lawyer says to you at the very beginning, I'm going to get you this, and I'm going to get you that, and you're going to leave, like, that person is so full of the word yeah. you didn't want to say before, yeah. that it's, that's not the right person for you. and. Unfortunately, there are a lot of lawyers out there who make promises and they make guarantees. We can't do that. So I think the best questions to ask are, you know, here's my situation. How did, what's your process? How are you going to deal with it? What do you think is right for me? Um, and you might not get answers to those in the first meeting, but you keep at it and develop the relationship. All right. Now, Jillian, I want you to take a minute and think about three things people should take away from our time together, three things they should take away. And while you're thinking about that, I'm going to give people your phone number once again. So if you want to talk to Jillian Gross about your situation, give her a call at 212-678-8500, 212-678-8500. I also want to remind you that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. We talked about valuation services 
You know, Sandrowski Corporate Advisors can help you save money on your taxes, whether you're a business or an individual. I want you to give them a call at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. I also want you to remember, your Revenue Roadmap Guide is waiting for you. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info. Once you do, you'll download my business development plan, a business development plan that will help you get more clients through relationships and thought leadership. You don't have to worry about any type of other uncomfortable business development strategies. These are the things I've used for 15 years with my clients. You can get it for free, revenueroadmapguide.com. Okay, Jillian, what are the three things our listeners, our viewers should take away from our time together today? Um, Bring honesty to the process. Um, Listen and hear the advice that you're getting from your lawyers and be compliant. Um, Don't be embarrassed or ashamed of who you are in the relationship and what you brought to the relationship or to the table and trust the process. Sorry, it was four things, but trusting the process, trusting your lawyer is a very important part of it. I love it. That's great advice. Our guest today is Jillian Gross. If you want to reach out to her, you can call her at 212-678-8500-212-678-8500. Jillian, thank you so much for spending some time with us. It was really enlightening. I think you have probably helped a lot of people who may be thinking about uh, this situation or may have this situation creep up on them in the future. So thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you for having me. This is great. All righty, folks, that'll do it for another episode of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo. We'll be back here again tomorrow with another interview. Until then.